0: Great, praise God. Here, Lee. He works with the junior hires. I thought that would be appropriate. <laughs> Turn with me to John chapter 10, would you? John chapter 10. We continue our series as we look at. Uh, thank you. As we look at the uh, miracles of Christmas, and we've already mentioned the miracle of light and oil pretty exciting when you and I begin to process and think about all the things that uh, can transpire in this time of the year. And to to pull together Hanukkah and Christmas makes sense. The reason it makes sense is because we'll discover here in a moment that the fact Jesus celebrated Hanukkah. And we are given instruction in the Word of God to remember the feasts and the festivals. This is not I believe a Jewish ceremony or celebration or remembrance, but it's very Christian because when you and you're hopefully going to see in a moment how very powerful this is. You know the concept of of light. Jesus has been in the Book of John teaching about light from the very beginning in Chapter One. He declared, "I am the light of the world," and it was really revolutionary to have someone like that, a rabbi, who would declare to all around him that we have the light, that the light is with us, and it literally explodes the darkness. And the things that that communicates is absolutely foundational and powerful to every one of us as believers in Jesus. What I find interesting is that in this declaration that starts from chapter 1 goes all the way through to the end of chapter 12, There's one chapter in that list that there is no mention of Jesus being the light, and that's in chapter 10. And again, you and I can agree and understand that what the Lord does, especially with his word, is not by accident. It wasn't one of those thoughts that God thought, well, you know, I think we'll take a break in chapter 10 and not bring up uh, the concept of light. I believe it was Intentional and very powerful, that surrounding chapter 10 are these unbelievable statements of light. It says, for example, and I'm not obviously giving you all of them, there isn't enough on the slide, but starting at verse 8, it says, Jesus spoke, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness. That's powerful. That's that's an important statement. I, I, I realize it seems obvious, but the power of it and the theology behind it, the light that that speaks of, is absolutely because it says, but have the light of life. That's, that's different. And John, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now let's jump down. In chapter 11, Jesus answered. They were talking, anyone who walks in the day does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. I think it's interesting that the light is not in him versus on him. I mean, the concept we think of light, and obviously it's pretty obvious, it's so practical. You know, it's daytime, you can see where you're going. And back then at nighttime, you can't see. I mean, you gotta realize back then there are no street lights, no cars, no flashlights, uh, no city lights. It was pretty much when it got dark, and especially when the moon was, was absent, it was really dark. A lot of you who are backpackers and campers, you know. You get out there, and the, let's say the moon is absent or not in the sky, and you're out there, it can get pretty dark. The stars are amazing, it reminds us of the promise of Abraham. But then it's dark. Have you ever tried walking? I have, where I've had to walk at night on a path. It's, it's easy to stumble. So it all makes sense, and they all knew that. Verse 12, it says, walk while you have the light, least darkness overtake you. He who walks in the light does not know where he's going. Uh, who walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going. While you have light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. And then uh, we come to John uh, 12. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in the darkness. So again, powerful stuff. Interesting that throughout all this, the only statement we have in John chapter 10 at verse 22, it tells us it was now winter. And Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah. He was at the temple walking, it says, through the colonnade. So there he is, actually there during the time of the celebration. I want you to see the power of that. Because throughout the, the, the declaration and what John brings as the, you know the, the herald of the coming of the Lamb of God, I mean, you've got to remember at the very time they were sacrificing the lambs, just before Jesus gave his life up, he was right there in the midst of Passover. It's interesting that throughout the Word of God, Jesus connects us to these feasts and festivals because he wants us to understand these feasts and festivals were all a message to be communicated to us that, you know what? There is a Messiah, there is the Son of God who's going to come and rescue and save the world, and you begin to realize We're learning the whole point of the Feast and Festivals isn't to have a party. It's to learn about God. And so here in the midst of this amazing Feast of Dedication, Feast of Lights, Hanukkah, Jesus is standing in the middle of the temple. doesn't say a word, but they're lighting the candles, remembering the miracle of Hanukkah, And there in the middle of everything is Hanukkah. His name is Jesus. I think often we miss Jesus in the same way because they asked over and over again, and tell us plainly, and of course, he had already spoken repeatedly of who he was, and how often do we have people in the world today who are in that place where right next to them is Jesus? And we miss it. How many miss Jesus here at this very powerful moment? Jesus is the light. In the next slide, we declare that he's the light of the world. That's a powerful statement. We go on and on about that. There have been you know, whole sets of commentaries written about the subject of Jesus being light. You've got to remember that in the very beginning in Genesis, when God began his creation, he created the first thing, which was what? light. Out of darkness, out of the void, out of the emptiness, came light. This amazing gift that happened. And God declared that the light was good. And then we understood that if the light is good, and if God is light, then God is good. And you have to begin to understand that when we talk about light, we're opposing it to darkness. It's an ongoing battle. It's a literary theme that we see in so many places, good versus evil, good guys versus the bad guys. We love that. I mean, we spend millions of dollars going to watch these clever movies about good versus evil, and we're so thankful that good will win the day. Because that is a, that, that touches our heart. Because God brought that in us. There's something, I believe, literally created in us that we want what's good. I believe every human being desires what is good, but we become, I believe, polluted and defiled and we we become so involved with darkness and what is wrong and evil that we soon lose the sense of and the importance of what is really good. And I want you to begin to understand that, in fact, is one of the key messages of Hanukkah, is that it is possible that we lose sight of what is so good and we begin to live in what is so dark. The light signifies God's presence and favor. It symbolizes the fact of a holy God. It's revelation of God's love that comes to us in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is the life-giving light. Can you say amen to that? And we don't want to miss that. And you and I, we should be connecting with this. It's dark by 418. (laughs) Have you noticed that? Man. September 21, it all changes. We get 30 seconds more of light. Can you see of that? There's hope. <laughs> and it keeps getting more and more as the time goes on. We, the, the winter solstice begins a transition. And I got to tell you, there's something comforting about light at this time. I mean, it, you know, 419, it's like it's dark. And I, I love what we do in our home. We have, of course, the, the Christmas tree with the lights. And uh, my wife, Lois, puts out just a whole bunch of candles we have the battery power, we got just regular candles everywhere. We probably have a three or four dozen candles, and we put them out, and we light them. I was sitting there um, yesterday, and it was just, just love. It was quiet. I was kind of thinking about today. I was thinking about the Word and just kind of praying and hanging out with Jesus. And I had the light of the tree, and I had a bunch of candles and all this going on. And all the, all the other stuff was off, and it was just quiet. It was just a quiet moment with the Lord. And I looked, and I said, thank God for light. You know, I was raised in California. (laughs) And I love light, (laughs) I love sun. And to have those candles remind me, and it just, it hits my eye, and all of a sudden I feel really comforted. I feel warmed. There's something about candlelight. Candlelight's kind of special. The, the, The light that comes from an oil lamp is special. There's something very comforting about that kind of light. It's different than artificial light. And Jesus wants you and I to understand that in the midst of that darkness, there can be light. In the world we live in, there can be light. And that's so important for us to understand. There's something in Scripture that talks about light and the armor of light. In Romans chapter 13, it tells us, therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Kind of a powerful statement right there. I've often looked at that and thought, the armor of light. we often talk about the armor of God, right? Ephesians A very powerful passage in Ephesians 6 and the armor. We're going to talk about that when we do our series on Ephesians and grace uh, after the first of the year. I'm excited about that. But what about the armor of light? It says, therefore, having Romans talks about a lot of different things. It says, okay, let me draw this. Therefore, here's a conclusion Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Remember, Everything that opposes or is the opposite of God is dark. And so if you ask yourself, what is dark? Darkness are the things that oppose God. The language we use, the behaviors, the thoughts. It talks a little bit about the parties, the drunkenness, the the lack of discipline, the inappropriate actions that are taken. These are all things, as we live this way, They are things that are the works of darkness. And it says, put on the armor of light. Now, now how do you do that? Really, we get an answer to that. We see that because how do we put on the armor of light? Well, we put on Jesus Christ. And someone asked me a while ago, what does that mean exactly? Well, simple definition means that we live a deliberate, conscious lifestyle where Jesus is the Lord of our lives. All our desires and actions are under his control. We live according to the will of God. So what does that mean? It means that the armor of light is also like a filter. Before you say it, as you make a decision about something, before you act on something, before you begin to process, you filter it through the light. And that filter is saying, I want to do this the right way, according to God's word. I want to live. I want to think this right. I want, to, I want to respond correctly. I just want to react. I want to respond in a way that is godly. Just think about how different some of life's circumstances would be if we had filtered that decision through the light of God and took out the darkness of that took out the darkness of that desire, attitude, perception. I mean, too often we don't do this. That's the practical answer to putting on the armor of God, is to consciously, deliberately live according to God's word, honoring it, respecting it, elevating it, and saying, you know what, this is how I'm going to live my life. I got to tell you, I see a lot of people in the Christian church today struggling with this because we lack the discipline of study and understanding and taking the time to really get this stuff. This is important. Because we're going to see in a moment that to do this is really an amazing and important challenge. Because if we don't do it, the church is in in serious trouble. So God gives us instruction to live a life that's very different. And, And I believe in this As we connect Hanukkah and Christmas, we see that good does come against evil. Evil tries to come against good. Jesus said this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. I've learned something about sin. I've learned something about evil deeds. The reason why it's in the darkness is because we feel safe to act on these things in the dark. Sin has power only when it's in the dark. Here's an amazing thing that happens. bring sin to the light, loses its power. That's why when you all of a sudden confess sin, you, you bring it into the light, you, you talk about it, you bring it up, all of a sudden, it's not as powerful as it was when it was remaining silent inside your heart. Something dynamically, I've seen this over and over again. It's true in my life, it's in a lot of other people's lives. When you and I, do this, everything, the ball game changes. Life changes. But as long as you keep it hidden, and that's why it's in the dark, because you don't want to, we don't want anyone to see us do this. Think of all the things that are done that are the deeds of evil that are done in the dark. I mean, think about it. All. I mean, Most places where you go to do bad things are usually what? Dark. Dark. Yeah. I mean, think about all the places like bars and clubs and all the kinds of activities. What do, what do they do? Well, they darken the place because they want to hide what's going on. They want to create an atmosphere where you feel safe and comfortable to act and behave a certain way so no one will really see what's going on. And darkness can hide all the garbage. I mean, some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been to Las Vegas, right? You've been on the streets there. Yeah, I was at Nellis Air Force Base there. I've been. Uh, I've seen Las Vegas in the day. I mean, the Strip. I mean, Las Vegas is a big place, but just the street right there, man, it's 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 a mess. But it, it totally is is changed at night. I mean, you you also don't see all the dirt on the sidewalks and everywhere else. And all of a sudden, it's like lights up and it looks so glamorous and exciting. And they got millions of lights there. But they also have darkness there. And that darkness remains so it can hide the sin that is exposed during the daytime. Very powerful statement. We as a people of God need to start living in the light. I've had people say to me, well, I'm a little scared to live in the light because I'm going to be embarrassed because somehow if we put a bright light on me, People, you know, I'm going to see all the blemishes. I'm going to see the imperfections. I'm going to see all the ugliness. And I don't think I want to see that. Let me tell you something. I understand that statement. I get it. But when God's light shines, and all of a sudden you do see the imperfections, God then brings this amazing gift of his loving presence and grace and the amazing miraculous comfort that comes when you're in the light. It's kind of surprising. It's not like a bright light and you're looking in the mirror like you would, let's say, getting ready. It's a light that all of a sudden brings safety and it brings refreshing and renew. It's a healthy, rejuvenating, redemptive light. Yes, the beginning of it shows what is wrong and bad, but then all of a sudden, as you and I Repent and we we give this to God, all of a sudden a transition happens. And then it's kind of like you're thinking, How was it that I ever lived in the darkness? Because the light is so much better. Can you say amen to that? There's something that we're being challenged on and how it is that we're to live. I want you and I to see the light and the oil. The Lord wants to see not only the light, but also the source of the light, the oil. In Hanukkah, it was a miracle because they didn't have candles like we do today. They had oil, and so they had oil lamps, basically, and, and it was oil that lit the lamps, and that oil had been specially prepared. It was prepared, it was holy oil, it was sacred, it was pure, and it was designed to function in a pure facility called the temple, the place, the Ark of the Covenant. You had the courtyard, the holy place, the Holy of Holies, and within all of this, it was sacred, it was kept clean. It was, it was all done continually. It was a ceremony involved with it. And it all stood symbolic of a pure and holy, righteous amazing lord and god whose name is jesus at the time they didn't know it was jesus but it all was it all connected i want you to see that we can interchange that so we come to this story because i want you to see that the issue is what was trying what the syrians were trying to do at this time under their leader They were trying to do something that was quite insidious. I want you to get this because it applies today. This is important. They were doing everything they could to bring down the respect and honor and holiness of God. You see, at the time, the Greeks were coming, and they were really concerned about the fact that the Jewish people believed in the Lord their God as the one and only God. They practiced the Shema, they prayed this regularly. And everyone knew it, that they stood out as God's people, and, and, and they they had the identification with circumcision and a life and a way of living that all was about this, this whole amazing statement that there is Yahweh, the Lord our God, one Lord. Now, the Greeks are like not too happy about this. The Syrians aren't very happy about this. And so they decided that they would begin to do something And basically, here was the statement. They were saying something like, you know what, we can live with this if you'll just take out that holiness part, that only part, the one and only. So here's the deal. Because, you know, the Word of God is a great book of literature. As, as wisdom. I love some of the statements in it they would say. I, I love some of the ideas in it, so we'll read it as literature. We love it as there's a lot of wisdom literature of the time. so it'll be just one of our many books that we can read to understand how to live life and we'll kind of pick and choose as we want. But this thing about Yahweh, we're going to kind of we're going to calm that down a little bit because there's a lot of other gods because we have the Greek gods, and there's you know a whole bunch of them. At this time, there was one that was worshipped, the father of the god, Zeus. And so basically, they were trying to get the people of God to give away the oneness, the priority, the exclusiveness of Yahweh, the Lord their God. And what are they trying to do? Getting them to compromise, getting them... To, to just disrespect. I want you to get this, because it's what's happening today. Now, what's going on is they were given some choices. Again, I'm not going to go through the whole story, but very quickly, quick review. The Maccabean War was a three-year, three-year war. It's actually studied at times in military war college. When I went there, they actually studied the Maccabean Revolt and looked at guerrilla warfare. It was one of the first times successful youth. But I want you to understand, when they started this fight, They were facing these kinds of decisions. They were told at one point in the history that they would bow down to Zeus or die. And 80,000 people in a couple days lost their lives. They were killed because they refused to bow down to Zeus. 80,000 people. All of Bremerton is now gone. All of the north peninsula is now gone. 80,000 people have just been killed because they refused to bow down to Zeus. They would take a pig and kill it on the brazen altar, again, to defile. The brazen altar, that was the thing on the courtyard, the outside where they sacrificed the animals before they would uh, you know, uh, use them in different ceremonies. So, And you got to realize, a pig is a really bad thing to this Jewish understanding pigs were definitely not kosher. Bacon is not kosher. <laughs> Let me repeat that again. Bacon is bad for you. <laughs> it may taste good. It may smell good, but it is not kosher. Can you say men to that? <laughs> no one wants to say that. The Sabbath was outlawed. The very thing we're doing right now, they said, if you gather, we'll either send you into prison, we will torture you, we'll beat you up, or we'll kill you. So don't gather. Don't don't gather anymore. They even went to the extent of having the young men to undergo a surgery, and it's written up in the history, to try to reverse the circumcision. I mean, that was crazy to even attempt to do that, but they were trying to do that. Why were they doing that? Because they wanted to remove the identity of God's people. Circumcision at that time was a clear identity that spoke to the fact that I am one of God's chosen people. If we can reverse it, we can take away anything that says you're special or different from us. We want to all be the same. There's nothing to be different about you. You can't be one of God's people. you got to be one of all of us. So let's take away that identity. And then literally they took pigs into the Holy of Holies, right, the very sacred place that was only entered once a year. They went in throughout this time to butcher their pigs that they would eat as food on the altar in the Holy of Holies. Now, you think about all of this. And it was a pretty amazing miracle that despite all this going on, the Jews eventually would win. What we learn is this is called Hellenization. Spiritual, culture, moral, ethical compromise are the tools Satan is using to destroy the church today. I want you to see this. Right now, today, it is happening. The enemy that wants to come against the church today is getting you and I to somehow compromise our cultural, moral, ethical beliefs and understanding according to the word of God, and now we're saying it doesn't count Doesn't matter. It doesn't apply to family, to marriage, to sexuality, to how we live our life. We now can kind of do whatever the situation might allow and we'll kind of take a vote on it. And if we all agree, then we'll go ahead and live that way. God's word is a nice guideline, a nice option, but we're not gonna live according to that any longer. We're gonna water it down. We're going to disrespect it. We're not gonna honor it. And that's happening right now today. I am passionate and fearful for the church. I want you to wake up to this. We are asleep to the reality of what's taking place right now. We're going to lose our children. We're going to lose our youth. We're going to lose so many young and up all the way to the top adults. We're going to lose so much Because we are allowing ourselves to buy into the compromise. We are no longer standing as light in darkness. We are somehow trying to blend light and dark together. And the scripture says you just can't do that. But we're working hard to try to do that. And we're being challenged to do that. Our politics, our science, our literature, our media is all trying to get us to buy into this truth right now. And if we buy into it and allow that to take place, church is in trouble, serious trouble. We've seen it in history. I mean, I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Look at Europe. Europe was was a happening place. I mean, churches were alive. I mean, the mission was exciting. Today, I've been to Europe a lot. I got to tell you, you go to Europe, And you'll see the churches and their hollow shells of what once was. And you know what? It's not happening. In some places we hear sparks, but overall it's pretty much dead. And that's what's going to happen to America. The oil is the source of the light. The events of Hanukkah when the Greeks came into the temple and attacked it, it's no threat. I want you to see this. They did not steal, destroy, or take the oil. They could have. What did they do? They defiled, dishonored, and polluted the oil. I want you to see that. In the events of it, they defiled it. They ruined it. They made it so, listen to this, they made it so they could not use the oil. According to the understanding of God's word, only sacred, holy, pure oil could be used. So they defiled it. They didn't have to, they didn't really need it but they defiled it and polluted it in such a way that it could not be used or it did not matter. It was profane. It was no longer holy. And that's what's happening right now today because the oil reminds us and stands as this amazing statement, a statement of wisdom and life and holiness and power. It's a statement that says it's a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of the Holy Spirit, the the symbol of abundance. The oil reminds us that there is wisdom, there is life, there is power, there is hope. And if the world can steal that away and pollute it and defile it and dishonor it, then where are we? And that's exactly what's happening today. What the Syrians did and were trying to do, because what happens today is if it doesn't work and they can't get us to compromise, and they threaten our lives. Now, here in America, we don't deal with that that much. But there is growing anger and hatred towards those who are believers. Worldwide, it's happening, and it's escalating. People who are being killed, tortured, and beaten up for no other reason, do not be naive. For no other reason than what we are doing right now. It's a little bit scary. This needs to concern us. We need to wake up to it. Because right now, literally the attack was against the holiness of God, against the purity and the respect and the honor that we would bring. We are called to respect and honor God's word. And the Lord himself, and how do we do that? By studying it, by coming to church, by being involved in the mission. You don't do that if you only come when it's convenient. You don't do that when you only occasionally you know, think about praying and reading the word just when it happens to you know, suit you. Because it's not going to work unless it becomes something we do. As a regular part, we put on the armor of light. It's part of our lifestyle. Are you with me on that? The Torah, at the time, the first five books, God's word at the time, is holy oil. To defile all the holy oil would communicate a clear message that the temple and God's word are not holy. The source of God's word is under attack. Its validity, its wholeness, its accuracy, its relevancy, its its truthfulness, its life are all under attack now, today, as we speak. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is a clear declaration here. The oil is holy and pure. It is the way, the truth, the life. Here's what the world wants us to do. The world says, look it, chill out, relax. Okay, we're good with this. Jesus is a way, a truth, and, and a life. I had this conversation just a few weeks ago and the understanding was, you know, we have our way, you have your way. Well, we all can be happy. I mean, this whole evangelistic thing, this this whole, you know, my way or the highway thing, the way, the truth, the life. I mean, come on. We gotta be intelligent and reasonable and understanding and tolerant. So it is a way, a truth, a life. So come on, we're okay with that. And the church is starting to say, yeah, you know, maybe you got a point. You know, it's kind of, I don't like conflict. I mean, how many of you here love conflict? Raise your hand. (laughs) (laughs) No one rose their hand quickly to that one. And so it's like, yeah, I'm not into conflict. I'm not necessarily wanting to get into a debate or argument. I get that. So you know what? This sounds kind of good because I can stay out of trouble here. I don't have to, I mean, I can go to work and relax. And as we do that, we are defiling, disrespecting, and polluting the holiness of God. Man, wake up. We need to stand as light. Jesus is light, and he says, put on the armor of light. Therefore, be light. Let us radiate God and his word and his life. You and I need to take a stand to be absolutely clear about what is truth. And I know this isn't easy. I faced this four weeks ago. I haven't shared this, but I feel like I need to. I hear, my mom passed away at her memorial. You know, I I was raised and born in a Jewish home and we had a Jewish ceremony for my mom. It was made clear once again, as it has been over and over again with my family, you gotta realize this is really true. There are three rabbis in my family and one pastor, and that's not funny to them. It was a challenge, and at this ceremony, my mom and I, have a, we had a very special relationship, and she left me in charge of everything, thank God, because they came against everything. I respected the tradition. My mom wanted to have a Jewish ceremony, and we did do that. But everyone was afraid I wasn't going to do that. The rabbi called and wrote. He was really concerned. I had to have a conversation with him. My family members called. They, did, they wanted to make sure I did what they wanted and nothing that I would want. Literally, they know that we would align together. But they were so concerned about who I was, believing in Jesus as the Messiah. I've lived with this for over 45 years. When I stood to speak, they turned their heads. They would not look at me. They deliberately turned their heads. They would not talk to my wife or my children. I still pressed forward, and we had a respectful, um, it was a service my mom wanted. But I stood there, and I was reminded, okay, Jesus, I really do love you, and I'm okay. I can face this because my love for you is greater than anything else. Now, this family will probably not ever talk to me again. And I'm okay with that. That's their choice. But I want you to understand that we face that. I have faced it. I am facing it. I know what it's like. I'm not crazy about it. But greater is he that's in me than anything that's in the world. I want you to live that way. I want you to be able to face whatever opposition would come. And as personal, as real as it can be, we can stand because we're taking a stand not to be oppositional, but because we love the light and the life that Jesus brings. Yeah. I want to encourage you, give your life to Jesus. Don't be embarrassed by him. Don't be afraid. Don't be hesitant. But take a stand regardless of the price. Ultimately. It's worth it. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize